And now Radio Maria England presents Questions of Faith. Everybody, I'm Father Sam Randall, Priest Rector of Radio Mirror England, and I'm your host for Questions of Faith. And today I have the pleasure of having with me Father Simon Blakesley, the Canon Theologian for the Diocese of East Anguilla, as my co-host. Simon and I are going to be attempting to answer your questions about faith, the Catholic Church, social issues, and any other topics that come up. Welcome, Father Simon. Thank you, Sam. It's good to be here. Thank you very much. Um, if you'd like to share your questions with us, you can email questions at uk. We have had people call in, so if you'd like, if you're brave and would like to do that, uh, you can do that. You can text, call, or WhatsApp us on 07502385010. But for now, let's start with a prayer. Let us pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. It's a prayer for wisdom. Come, Holy Spirit divine creator, true source of light and fountain of wisdom. May you pour forth your brilliance upon our intellects. May you dissipate any darkness which covers us, the darkness of sin and of ignorance. Grant us a penetrating mind to understand, the lucidity to comprehend, and abundant grace. May you guide our deliberations and direct this conversation. This we ask through Jesus Christ, true God and true man living and reigning with you and the Father forever and ever. Amen. Amen. I'm going to uh, begin with a question that's been on the minds of lots of priests and clergy and people who are attending church. And they want to ask Father Simon, I thought this would be a good one for you because you're a parish priest, aren't you? I am. Do you think that COVID will have any sort of long-term impact on attendance? You mean long COVID for the church? Uh, yes, I think it will, but that may also be positive uh, as well as negative. Um, there will be people who will have come to the realisation that they were probably fairly old and, and frail attending church, and it was fairly risky even before COVID. So for them now, um, having been used to uh, attending via the live streaming and receiving uh, limited visits at home, I think they will stay with that and not come back to the church. However, other families may realise what they have been missing uh, during the lockdown um, from a, a spiritual point of view, from a community point of view, from a social point of view. They will realise that they always enjoyed going to church um, and everything associated with the church community. People have often said, oh, Father, well, you know, these social things, they're, they're not really important. What's really important is the Mass. And I say, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's vital that we gather together. But the Mass should also bear fruit in friendships, in relationships, mm. in groups, in all sorts of spin-offs. And they are divinely inspired and intended spin-offs. Um, it's what a community does when it grows. It has that um, 
as it were, collateral life of parties, of quizzes, of all those sorts of things that people can think of as being kind of, you know, just ephemeral, not really terribly important. But I think uh, the social life of a parish is is a sign of the Holy Spirit always. Right. Um, don't you think in the last few generations, the sort of geographical link between an individual and the parish has weakened? I mean, people tend, don't they, to go... They're attracted by a particular ministry or yes. particular priest. So already... I am for Paul, I am for yeah, Apollos, I am it. for Cephas. Yes, it's yeah. as old as the church itself. Yeah, so people have already had that idea, haven't they? Yes, uh, uh, people have always shopped around. Yeah. Um, and uh, live streaming has uh, perhaps exaggerated that a little bit. I have very good friends who say, oh, well, I didn't go to your mass this Sunday because... The, the mass from so and so was at a better time, so right. yeah. And yeah. I suppose we have to accept that. Um, in a way, it helps us all to be um, more attentive to the quality of our celebrations, that they are uh, inspiring and uh, mm. attract that so sense of. Mm. Um, I hate to say it, brand loyalty, but. If you celebrate good liturgy, people will come, and through uh, live streaming, that is uh, made even more. Um, do, you, do you think ch church is as flexible as it could be? If you've got, say, uh, people with dis disabilities or young children, I know churches that don't even have toilet facilities, and yeah. that's a real problem for elderly people. Well, it's yeah. a problem for everybody, but if you've got little children, that's a real problem. Oh, we have Toulouse, don't worry. Um, and Toulouse, Lautrec. Toulouse, Lautrec, indeed. Um, we have uh, those facilities, and you're absolutely right. Uh, church has to be a family-friendly place. Yeah. Um, and uh, there are all sorts of ways of just making sure that happens and yeah. uh, having the, the potential for children's liturgy although that's something we have had to be creative about uh, mm. and CAFOD have uh, contributed a lot. Yeah. And uh, there's somebody called Mrs. Lucia Watson. Have you heard of her? <laughs> she, if you're listening, yes, we love you. <laughs> uh, yes, Lucia has yeah. done great work to um, reinvent children's liturgy for, for the uh, virtual age and doing all sorts of yeah. things to, to just make... Going to church, fun. Yeah. Providing a black Labrador with a ball is also uh, occasionally helpful. Bentley, if you're listening, we love you too. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So um, thank you, Father Sam, for that. It's great. Yeah, I think uh, we do need to be more attentive as priests to the needs and of our congregation. My daughter, I remember going to church with a little tiny, one of my grandchildren, and she asked, where could you change the little girl? And they said, oh, we do it outside on the tombstones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we need to actually uh, be much more welcoming and loving, I think. Now, Father Son, this next one is really why I asked you It's here. a doozy, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, this one is on everybody's minds. It was in the press. It's everywhere. So here we go. This is the question that's come in uh, from one of our listeners. Why was Boris Johnson allowed to marry in Westminster Cathedral? And there's another question. 
Does it mean his previous children are illegitimate? So it's two real questions here. Do the first one. Why was Boris Johnson allowed to marry in Westminster Cathedral? Because in the mists of time, he was actually baptised as a Catholic. He was uh, brought by his parents uh, to be baptised in the Catholic Church. I don't know when or where that was, but presumably that fact was um, stably uh, ascertained before he was uh, admitted to be married in Westminster Cathedral. Because he was baptised a Catholic... Uh, when he married uh, later in life, not having kept up his Catholic faith, in fact, he was confirmed an Anglican uh, while he was at Eton or, or to get into Eton. I'm not sure of that detail. However, because he was bound by the uh, Code of Canon Law in force at the time when he was baptised, i.e. the 1917 Code, and that was before the 1983 Code of Canon Law. Uh, therefore, he was regarded still as being a Catholic, and because he did not marry in a Catholic church but in another setting, um, his marriage was not recognised. In fact, both his first two marriages, which were legitimate civil marriages but not church marriages, uh, were not recognised. Now, that goes to the second question, uh, does that mean his children of his previous marriages are illegitimate? Not at all, because he was married civilly, um, and civil marriage is a source of legitimization of, of children born of that marriage, or uh, indeed born prior to that marriage of that union. So um, the question of illegitimacy is, it doesn't really apply because um, he was... Uh, civilly married uh, to the mothers of those children. So, for those, so both of his marriages were pre nineteen eighty three. You're telling us, and and fell under that. Well, no, he was baptized pre nineteen eighty three. That's the key thing. That is the key thing. So, what's the difference post nineteen eighty three? Well, <laughs> do you do you really want to get into this? Well, you, because Simon, you can't everyone's do, talking about you're... this. You're the canon lawyer, well, and we want you because this has been in so many papers, and people yeah. feel hurt. Well, people do feel hurt because what the church recognised was to say that simply because somebody has been baptised in the Catholic Church, does it mean they, they continue to be a member of the church in spite of anything they might do, say, um, or, or uh, undertake? And there was the uh, concept uh, was written into the Code of Canon Law of a formal act of defection from the Catholic faith. Um, this is particularly relevant in countries where a person is taxed upon their religious belongings. So in Germany and Austria, um, church tax. there is the Kirchensteuer, the, the, yeah. the church tax, mm. and people want to stop paying that tax, so they want officially to leave the Catholic Church. And so this formal act of defection uh, was recognised. And if somebody... Uh, leaves the Catholic Church, they are no longer bound by the canonical form of marriage. They are no longer obliged to get married in the Catholic Church. So that concept was introduced in 1983, um, but it, it has had to be refined and developed, um, and there have been a number of test cases to see, you know, has this person really left the Catholic Church 
um, or, or you know, was it a deliberate act, or was it something you know? Would young Boris Johnson have recognised that by being confirmed in the Church of England, he was no longer a Catholic? Therefore, um, it's a very um, technical issue. Would you say it's um, messy a bit? Um, it it's unclear. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's messy. It's trying to establish a principle that you know somebody can leave the Catholic Church if that is their uh, their strong desire to do so, but it's saying you can't leave the Catholic Church by accident, as it were. So, to recap, neither of the marriages needed annulments. Uh, they were not recognised because, because they're not recognised because they were not conducted according to the. Catholic canonical form of marriage, which, as a baptised Catholic, um, Boris Johnson was uh, obliged to um, well. conform to. But um, obviously, he didn't think of himself as a Catholic. No. Therefore, he didn't um, no. approach the Catholic Church. Right. But not thinking of yourself as a Catholic doesn't necessarily mean you're not one. <laughs> So, it, but, but he it, had got confirmed as an Anglican. So, yeah, yeah. Um, but even so, that was not recognised as um, because it happened in presumably sometime in the mid seventies. It was not recognised um, by a later um, law of the Church because the the current Code of Canon Law was promulgated, as you know, in in November. Uh, 1983. So as far as the church con was concerned, I mean, he was in relationships, but they weren't marriage. The, they weren't marriages as the church, as the church understands, understands it. it. Okay. And because illegitimacy is an issue around civ civil marriages, yeah. the children remain... The children are, are, they're, they're always not. were and always will be legitimate. Yeah. I see. What happens though, Simon, if someone's got married in a Catholic church and then uh, and has children mm. and then um, has an annulment? Well, what happens to the children? Well, it's the same. Nothing more or less than would happen with the divorce decree absolute. Right. You see, a divorce decree absolute doesn't change the fact that um, the children were born in um, wedlock. Right. Um, you might as well, yeah, I mean, it has, this issue is always brought up as a kind of uh, emotional battering ram to oh, oh, um, <laughs> to try and discourage people from right. uh, going down the annulment path. But it, it, it's, um, it's an Aunt Sally, really. It, it's, okay, it's, I was married in an Anglican church. Mm. I am now a Catholic. Yes. My wife and I... Married in Anglican Church. Yes. So, what's the Catholic view on our marriage? Well, you're you're legitimately married. <laughs> oh my goodness! Sorry, for Sam. <laughs> okay, Miriam, are you listening? <laughs> I'm afraid you're stuck with him. <laughs> yeah. Praise God. So, get, and I, if you have more questions about this, and I'm sure you do, do get in touch. You can Indeed. email us at questions at radiomirrorengland.uk. Simon's a dear friend. The the one thing I would add on. To this because people say oh it's one law for the rich and one law for the poor well no it's exactly the same law and uh, it's important to say that um, Pope Francis has asked all marriage tribunals to process any kind of case without charge so um, there is no administration fee 
um, for this anymore. Um, we used to charge more for formal nullity cases because the amount of work involved. But now we, we simply do not charge right. because it creates the wrong impression. No, that's right. So, great. So, so there you are. Um, it's. I hope that's helped you. Uh, and I know there's a lot of confusion about this. Now, Simon's willing to answer any questions that you yeah. send in. If, and it, I mean, these are very personal things. Yeah. And um, we'll keep it. We don't need to do it on the radio. But I'm sure if you've got something yeah. that really is of concern to you, if you get the question to us, I'll see that Simon gets it and he'll get in touch. Yeah. And also, you can always at any time phone the Marriage Tribunal, um, which is uh, at Bishop's House, and that's uh, open Monday to Thursday in the morning from nine till one. And Sharon Ellis is the administrator, and she is very experienced in answering questions. So you can either email tribunal at rcdea.org.uk or phone her on. 01508 Thank you. So and those it, are the contact details. And if you tribunal. live in another diocese or in another part of the world, your diocese will have a canon lawyer like as good as Simon. Well, maybe not as good as Simon. But they will have one, won't they? And, and, Absolutely. And you can look it up, couldn't you? Yeah. Online. Yes. Look up your diocese online, Catholic Church, and and uh, and put in Canada Lawyer in your face. Or put in Marriage Tribunal. And you'll find someone all yep. around the world. All around the world. Yeah, wherever you, know, you are, wherever you're we listening We have branches everywhere. <laughs> there you go. Um, right, now to our next question. This is also um, quite a sticky one. The remains of 215 children have just been discovered at a church. I think this is from uh, just a few days ago at a church run residential home in Canada. Um, there are, these are some of the estimated thousands of children who died while in the care of the church. There have been similar scandals in other countries such as Ireland. How do we reconcile? The question is, how do we reconcile these dreadful scandals with the Christian life and not let our own belief in the church as the body of Christ be affected uh, it, absolutely to be accurate that um it, these are state-run institutions i think uh, primarily and the church had some sort of jurisdiction over them uh, in canada the catholic church ran 70 percent of these residential homes and these children are part of um there i think thousands of children uh, who, who are they think they it's as many as six thousand children died some as young as three in these residential homes run by the church and they run for the end of the 19th century to um well i i 1960s really yeah um they've identified in in these residential schools so far uh, 4100 children who yeah. died so uh that's it and, and if, if you're interested why on earth um because there was a policy a state-run policy for forced assimilation. So um, First Nations, Metis and Inuit children were taken, forcibly taken from their families during this uh, period and placed in these state-run boarding schools. Um, and they were even uh, mandatory, attendance um, uh, was mandatory and children were, for, uh, were faced with threats of prison if they failed to comply. And they were had to, forced to abandon their native languages, to speak English and to convert to Christianity, and we all know some of the horrible things we've heard that have gone on in these homes. So back to the question, 
terrible scandals, and not just in Canada and Ireland and other places, and Australia. How do we reconcile these dreadful scandals with the Christian life and not let our own belief in the church as the body of Christ be affected, Simon? Well, it's a massive wound in, in the body of the church. It, it, it's, it's awful. What contributed to this? Um, a devaluation of the life of a child either born um, illegitimate or born um, of a tribe or a race that were regarded as tending towards the subhuman, i.e. the, the First Nation um, in Canada or Australia. Um, so that's unforgivable because it is making judgments between the values of, of, of different human beings based on, on ethnicity or on uh, culture. And that's unforgivable. The only thing that, that, that I, I would say now is that possibly we don't uh, have this situation because children don't get to see the light of day. There is a, a, a policy um, in most Western nations and cultures whereby there is um, a destruction of life before birth. So... Um, in previous generations, um, problem pregnancies came to term, children were born, and then after that, that's when the, the crisis and, and the problems began because they were not well cared for. And obviously, that's an understatement because some of them died through neglect, through trauma, through just systematic starvation, whatever the problem um, there was a disregard for the value of human life. And in this setting, uh, it's so tragic because it was the, the innocent and, and the, the most vulnerable who suffered. Um, and we simply have to accept this as a wound and repent and look at those structures which allowed that to happen and those structures are normally quite authoritarian and um, patriarchal, uh, even though they are run by some orders of nuns, were simply um, running matriarchs, running a patriarchal system. And, and that, too, was destructive of um, the innocence um, of human life. If you can hear hammering, by the way, listeners, it's not Simon or I tapping on the table. They're repairing the roof. So my apologies. It's not your radio. There's nothing we can do about it. Simon, the um, Mr. Trudeau has asked Pope Francis to apologise in 2017, but it says in the report I read, he has, uh, the church has so far declined. I, I'm not sure about that, honestly, because I know the Holy Father is good at making apologies. So... Do you know anything about that? You've done time in Canada, haven't you? I did time in Canada a, a long while ago. And it, it, it's certainly true that uh, the Catholic Church was very much hand in glove with the state, um, particularly in the um, the late 19th, early, early 20th century, um, in um, the 
missionary work, particularly of the Oblates of Mary Immaculate. They were, uh, I mean, they still are a huge religious order in Canada um, because they were sent to evangelize uh, and culturate the First Nations. But obviously, as you mentioned in your um, intro, that was incredibly destructive of their yeah. own culture, uh, non-tolerant of, of difference. And uh, it, it was very unhelpful. And so, yes, to the extent that the church was implicated in such an inhumane um, policy, there should be an apology. But I think we could also say, well, that was the mainstream culture of the time, not something particularly um, encouraged by the church, but the church was complicit with it. So I can see that there could be a demand for an apology as long as Mr. Trudeau apologised on behalf of the Canadian government too. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's pushing um, the blame, really. Well, um, yes, it, it's it's perhaps a, it may be deserved in some cases. Um, I, I don't know the exact scenario, um, but the difficulty is when um, religion is used yeah. as as a lever um, and uh, that's not a good use of uh, preaching the Catholic faith simply to um, change people's uh, cultural inheritance. No. Um, we'll be talking about that. There's a question a bit later on. Yeah, I know that the Holy Father uh, has apologised. Uh, yeah. I mean, in about other things. I yeah. think, um, you know, so he's, he's wonderful at that, mm. actually. I mean... Yes, so I know he's done it in Switzerland because there's similar things that have happened in other countries. Um, in Australia, the government recognises its complicity in it all as well. Mm. I mean, it's not uh, the Christian Brothers, some of their institutions they ran, it's shocking, terrible things have had a dreadful impact on the church. But the church has mm. come forward, and uh, but the state needs to as well. I mean, the trouble is, it's colonialism, isn't it? It's church yes. all tied up with all of that, assuming that the uh, faith is somehow of a particular cultural sort, which it isn't. But also people can get away with it because they allow themselves to enter what I call dissociative denial. You know, they, they just disconnect from a difficult past. Oh, well, that was nothing to do with us. If something's emotionally um, challenging, you simply switch off. You know, it's a version of not listening, not listening, you know. Yeah, I know. Vision of child with fingers in their ears, just saying, I'm not going to listen. Um, and that kind of um, switching off from reality is is part of the human condition. But yeah. uh, it's a shame when prelates and um, teachers in the church do that as well. Uh, listeners, um, the church can has so often terribly bad press. And I think people like Father Simon and I are perfectly aware of that, but also aware of those prophetic voices that have stood for indigenous communities i mean it's not it's not one-sided that the church is simply um an oppressor when it gets into into bed so to speak with the government it can be just mirror some of these uh, oppressive practices but i always think of someone like bartolome de la casas in in south america and people like him 
you know it's absolutely wonderful the church it's wonderful i mean uh, but also it's it's wheat and tares the, the wheats of people like mm. botsovic are growing there with the tares of some of these atrocities mm. but we need to face some of those things yeah. and um in my experience i know that the holy father does um um apologize on behalf of um, but there needs to be subsidiarity as well there needs because Oh, yeah. people's experience of the church is at the level of parish priest or, you know, occasionally they might meet the bishop. So it's at that level there needs to be, um, yeah. you know, we, we need to be singing from the same... I, I think in those sheet. sort of local places where the priest and the church take the lead in, in having an appropriate memorial services and yeah, the sort sure. of services of acknowledgement. We're going to take a music break now. This is Radio Miriam. If you ever listen to Radio 4, Thought for the Day, you sometimes get John Bell. 
and I think it's one of his songs. Uh, he's got a lovely voice, I yeah. think. I think I love that Scottish lilt. You're listening to Questions of Faith. I'm Father Sam Randall. I'm here with Father Simon. If you'd like to share your questions with us, you can email us questions at radiomirrorengland.uk. You could text, call or WhatsApp us at 07502385010. And this exciting news for you, if you didn't know, we're available as a podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and other podcast services. You need to search Radio Mirror England and you can see some of our shows available and listen whenever you need them. Uh, but the, of course, that's a challenge for us who would seek to answer them, you know. Uh, but anyway, so on to our next question. Tomorrow in the churches. So listeners, so every day, well, most days, there's a saint we give thanks for in the mm. church. So to remember that person. And tomorrow, the question says uh, it's giving thanks for St. Boniface who's English, mm-hmm. but Born the Crediton in Devon. There you go. Uh, he was the apostle to the Germans, he's Indeed. known as. Yep, an export. Bishop of Mainz. There's a famous story about him cutting down the sacred oak. And this is the question. In our world of tolerance and inclusion, he'd be prosecuted for religious vandalism. <laughs> Father Simon, what would you do? Um... Th- uh, this is possibly acts of the apostles, if you'll pardon the expression. <laughs> Very good. Um, Very good. What, there you go. Sometimes people's, um, to to use the analogy and to probably do it to death, um, some deeply rooted pagan ideas have to be uprooted and a Christian idea needs to be planted um, and grow. So... I think Boniface recognised that he had an intractable problem of um, this inbuilt religiosity which was deeply pagan and his instinct was to say, well, I've got to change this. Um, so cutting down an oak tree, it's it's fairly dire. Um, however, if he was giving them the cross of Jesus Christ in its place, that's a good deal, I think. And um, how you then plant the cross and the beauty of the cross as the tree of life in a community of faith, that's a lot of work. And uh, in a way, it probably takes hundreds of years to for an oak tree to grow to maturity Um and the cross of Christ can grow to maturity in a person's lifetime. So I think um, his evangelical zeal might be regarded as a, a little bit um, strong uh, by some, um, but he made a judgment that he had to change and challenge uh, these pagan people, and that's the way he sought to do it. So um, I, I think... Probably when he got to heaven, God might have said, I like that oak tree. What did you do that for? Um, (laughs) However, um, we know that he was uh, a fearless and uh, effective preacher of the gospel to the people of Germany. It's what they needed when they needed it. It, Perhaps uh, to make them think, to make them realise, to to give them a jolt, um, that can be part of any journey of faith do you remember when the taliban destroyed those buddhas uh yes blew him up How, yeah. what did you think about that 
I just thought, you stupid people, you know, what are you replacing this with? Yeah. Um, it's not so much the distraction, it's it the, is, okay, yeah. but that is appalling. You think it's more what it's replaced with? Yeah, what's what's it replaced with? You know, nothing, mm. really. Or, or, oh, well, uh, an empty well, space in their case. Well, yes, but, you know, the, the theology, thing to the theology of emptiness, yeah. it, it's... It's not helpful. No. I mean, it is an Old Testament precedent for all of this, and mm. Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Yes, indeed. Yeah. <laughs> In which case, you could say St. Boniface went easy on them. Well, yeah. Yeah, it's... Um, yeah. Uh, he came to a sticky end, though, didn't he? Indeed. He was... Um, he went into um, Holland to Frisia, and um, he was martyred by the Frisians. I thought that meant... He was trampled by a herd of cows, but actually, no, he was just, he was um, killed by a, an unruly pagan mob. In, with an axe. With an axe in, in Frisia. Yeah. So. so um, not relating to, not, no, not, nothing to do with cutting down the sacred oak. I don't think so, but no. obviously he he challenged people and that challenge was, was met with... Um, resistance and eventually death so don't, we're in the living a different age don't yeah. you think we try to i don't know detract and divert and somehow i, we... I think we occasionally uh, I, I think we we should um uproot uproot cut down and say this is not doing you any good no you know for some people you might say well Actually, I don't think you should go on social media anymore. It's not doing you any good. Let's cut down the sacred oak of social media. Yeah. Um, let's cut down the sacred oak of um, the internet because you're, it's only leading you into temptation and a, a distortion of your own sexuality. It's, so there can be some things. Well, actually, if you get your yeah. secretaries out and, and cut your mains cable to the internet, that might be good for you. Yeah. You couldn't listen to a Radio Maria podcast anymore, but, you know, it's... <laughs> no, it's for some people, they need... It's true. To, ...to cut. If it's a poisonous cord... Absolutely. ...you need I mean, to cut it. You and I will have come across, both of us in our ministry, yeah. people that have got into the occult. That yeah. absolutely needs totally destroying yeah. any of that sort of... those things that go along with that. Yeah. 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 So, so um, would he be prosecuted for religious vandalism? Not by the church. <laughs> um, well, yes, I, I think. Um, but as you say, if you're destroying something which is precious because it's actually um, uh, a perversion or, or a um, something mm. which is deeply anti-human yeah. um, uh, from the occult, then... It, Yes, he, he was destructive, but that was... Necessary. Necessary, necessary. to be able to, to plant the cross. He had to cut down a tree. There you go. So tomorrow, give thanks for St. Boniface. Yep. And, uh, yeah, a great export to Germany. Um, on Sunday, talking this this next question follows on to this, because someone's asked, um, it's St. Boniface tomorrow, but Sunday it's the Feast of Corpus Christi. What is this, and is it important, or why is it important, Father Simon? Well... Of course, the centre of the church's life is the celebration of the Eucharist and uh, particularly the whole teaching of Jesus in John chapter 6 um, is, is something that um, mm, wonderful. We, we focus on 
at this feast. Um, you know, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you cannot have life in you. And that is such a central mystery that the church um, has dedicated um, this uh, Sunday as a feast. It used to be kept uh, on a Thursday um, after the um, in in line with uh, the other celebrations on Thursday, such as the Ascension, etc. Um, however, the bishops decided because of its importance uh, as a holy day to move it to a Sunday. And obviously for many communities, I mean, not ours for various reasons, due to school terms and the placement of half term, etc. Um, it's not a good Sunday for First Holy Communions. But when the school calendar fall, falls favourably, um, parishes do like to celebrate um, First Holy Communion on uh, the Feast of Corpus, Corpus Christi. Christi. Uh, Maundy Thursday, we also give thanks, don't we, for the Indeed. sacrament? Yes, Indeed. another day we yeah. do that. We're going to come to our next uh, music.
This is Questions of Faith. I'm Father Sam Randall. I'm here with Father Simon Blakesley. If you'd like to share your questions, you can email us at questions at radiomirrorengland.uk. You can also text, call or WhatsApp us on 07502385010. And the show is available on podcast. We're coming to our final question. Did you like I Heard the Voice of Jesus say uh, something? I, I sang another setting of that at Ushaw um, when I was at, at college there, and that went out on Highway, the religious programme. Really? Because yes. you've got such a good voice. Well, no, we sang it as the choir. Ah. But um, also Harry Seacombe was on that. Uh, <laughs> it, was, it was great. Songs of praise, Harry so, Seacombe. No, he no, had an opera. Highway. It was, oh, okay. a, it was, you know, songs of praise lookalike okay. on, on ITV. Actually, I, that song, I heard the voice, I used to sing to my grandchildren as a mm. lullaby to get them to sleep. Did it work? No. Oh, right, okay. And it used to annoy my daughter no end. <laughs> so, uh, for our last question, what are the guidelines about receiving the sacraments if a person is somehow incapacitated or has severe learning disabilities and aren't completely aware? Father Simon, what are the... Uh, you know, human beings are like snowflakes. Everyone is different. Um and with children or with young adults or, or older adults with uh, learning difficulties. I think our First Communion preparation book is called I Belong. And it's working on the fact that children understand that they belong to a community mm. and they are included in the life of that community as they grow older. And one of the, the staging posts, as it were, of, of belonging is to receive your first Holy Communion. So it's important to know that I am included, I am wanted in this community, and I am a part of this community. And if a person is old enough to realise, oh, I'm being left out of this, you know, I'm not being included, uh, you know, I'm not allowed this, then you should allow them in uh, with a as much preparation as you can give that's appropriate to their age, their understanding. But I think if a person's old enough to realise, oh, I'm not allowed, or it's not for me, then you should be including them and saying yes to them. Um, because I think in even in these simple ways, to think, oh, I'm being left out, is is unkind and unfair yeah. and somebody we know said let the little children come to me do not stop uh, them yeah there you go i think uh, we should err on generosity always because yeah. the lord did healed the, all of the lepers only one come back the samaritan to say thank you fed the multitude didn't say just those who got it right and look at people who get dementia when people lose mm. any sense of who they are and sense no and we we come we join a community and listeners, it took me years to understand and appreciate Christ in the sacrament. And mm. I remember reading John Henry Newman. It encouraged me. There were aspects of the faith that he didn't quite get, but he was willing to mm. um, push in and push off into the faith. So um, thank you for being with me, uh, Father Simon, for questions of faith. That's, you're very welcome, Sam. I will come again if invited. Oh, you will be invited. If you have any questions you'd like to ask, just email us at yeah. questions at radiomirrorengland.uk. If you've missed any of the broadcasts, we do rebroadcast this show on Sundays in the afternoon at four, Mondays in the evening at nine and Thursday in the early hours at two. 
And do join us again live on Friday at 11. Father Simon, could you lead us out in prayer? I certainly can. Just before that, can I just encourage anybody who perhaps has been affected by this question of marriage nullity? I know it's always difficult. It's always difficult to take the first step, but we will always try to do everything that we can to answer your questions and to to give you hope and, and not to give you false hope. So, you know, take the step, be brave, get in touch, and we'll try to help. Anyway, let us pray. And as we are here on Radio Maria. Hail, Holy Queen, Mother of Mercy. Hail our life, our sweetness, and our hope. To thee do we cry, poor banished children of Eve. To thee do we send up our sighs, mourning and weeping this veil of tears. Turn then, most gracious Advocate, thine eyes of mercy towards us. And after this, our exile, show unto us the blessed fruit of thy womb, Jesus. O clement, O loving, O sweet Virgin Mary. Pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Amen.